Hi, I'm Elizabeth, um, and I'm the Women's Director for Summit College, and I have met a lot of you, even though it's really hard for me to recognize everyone in their masks. Um, and for those of you I haven't met, nice to meet you. Um, come find me at some point. We can talk six feet away. Uh, so we are so excited you guys are here tonight. Um, and I was thinking about my answer to the fashion question, even though no one's asking me. Um, and I feel like I've kind of just, us girls, um, been having kind of a little bit of a crisis with this whole TikTok thing that says side parts and skinny jeans are out. Um, so I resist that and I don't care. Um, even though I have tried a middle part a couple times this week, just in my bathroom alone, um, just to see if I could pull it off. And I'm not there yet, but maybe one day you'll see me with a middle part and some of those balloon pants, um, and I'll be out there hanging with you guys. Um, I don't know if that's actually what they're called, but that's what Madewell calls them. And so I trust Madewell. Um, but I'm so excited to talk to you guys tonight. As I was praying um, about what we were going to talk about, um, it took me a while to figure out what God wanted us to talk about tonight. And I just kept praying and waiting and reminding the Lord that I did need time to prepare. Um, and so I needed him to tell me pretty quickly what he wanted me to talk about. Um, and as I began to continue to pray, uh, the topic of humility came into my mind and over and over again, it felt like that was what God wanted me to teach on tonight uh, to the women of Summit College. And so that is what we will be discussing. I will be using the Bible. However, I'm going to be honest, it's not up here. So I just wanted to be clear that I will be using the Bible, but um, the letters are very small. And even though I have glasses on, it's just hard to read that. And so uh, the Bible will be on my notes, but uh, just so you know, that is what we will be using tonight. And so if you guys would just bow your heads, I'm going to pray because teaching the word of God is no joke and um, I really need his help. So if you'll just pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, God, for this night to gather together as women um, and to talk about uh, humility. God, I feel like the least qualified person to teach on this um, and I am very aware that I need you. And so, God, would you please help me decrease, and would you increase? Would people not remember me or my stories or my personality or anything? God, would I not get in the way of you? I mean, so, Lord, I pray that you will help us. God, that you will help us to see humility, uh, see pride in our hearts, help us to repent, and God, fix our eyes on Jesus, the only truly humble one. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Okay, I'm also going to need to, well, I'm going to need to drink sometimes, so you can just watch me drink the water. Um, yeah, so I went home on winter break, uh, so when you work in college ministry, you get a winter break too, so it's definitely a perk, and um, I went home and I saw my nephew, and my nephew is 10 years old, and he's like probably my favorite person in the world, and so when you're hanging out with your niece or nephew, you basically do whatever they want, right? It's just... You don't really get a choice and you just do it. And so he's like, okay, let's play Just Dance. And I was like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm not a professional dancer, but I think I can hang with anyone. I'm like, sure, whatever. You have to drop it a lot in Just Dance. I did not realize that. So it's me and him in the living room, you know, we're doing the moves and um, he's a little better than I thought he'd be. In fact, he's beating me a lot. And I'm not a very competitive person. I like to talk a big game, but I don't really care about losing. But that day I cared. 
Um, and so we're kind of getting into it, you know, the moves. And I'm like taking off my sweater. I'm like sweating. I'm kind of like looking at him. Um, and he's beating me. I mean, song after song after song. And he just looks over at me and he goes, I think you're getting better at this. And I look back at him and I'm like, you're boasting, you're patronizing me. Of course, I'm using really big words. Like, he doesn't know what that means. And I am going off on him. I'm like, I don't want to play with you anymore if you keep bragging because it's not encouraging. And yeah, maybe I'm not as good as you, but I want to be encouraged. And then we both kind of have this moment where we just like look at each other. And we both know that I need to be the adult, but we also both know I'm not being the adult in that moment. So then we just kind of look back and we go back to Old Town Road doing that little one. Um... And so I apologize to him later. Don't worry about it. I I do apologize. Um, But I bring that up to say that what got the best of me that day was my pride, right? I I mean, it's just a silly game. He's a kid. Who cares? No one else was watching. Um, But I wanted to be better, and I was mad that I wasn't. Um, And so pride can be sneaky in those silly ways, uh, but it can also be really deeply rooted in our hearts, Um, And so tonight, we are going to look at a psalm uh, that's going to teach us about humility. And so we're going to go look at Psalm 131, if you want to go ahead and get there, or you can look at it. It'll be up on the screen in a minute. Uh, But we're going to answer three questions from the psalm tonight, okay? Where does pride come from? How can I see my pride in my life? So I'm going to give you a few things to kind of test it out to see if you got pride. And then lastly, how can I fight pride? And so what you need to know about the Psalms is that they were written uh, by the people of Israel to the people of Israel, um, and they're mixed with poems, songs, prayers, um, and the amazing thing about the Psalm is, the Psalms are they give us permission to feel, and they also give us words to communicate with God. They give us the language to thank him, to confess, to praise him. Um, All of that is covered in the Psalms, and so... We're going to be looking at a psalm tonight. And Psalm 131 is accredited to be written by David. And so we don't know what was going on at this exact point when he wrote this psalm. Uh, but we do know a little bit about David. So First and Second Samuel, you guys are going to want to go to this later on because you've got to make sure that I'm teaching you from the Bible. Um, so you're going to want to study the books of First and Second Samuel, letter, Samuel later to make sure I'm not making this up. Um, but in there, what we learn about is David, who he is. So a little background. Uh, the people of Israel want a king. They want to be like every other nation. And when they want to be like every other nation, that's bad. Because they're God's people. They're not supposed to be like everyone else. But God is really gracious to them, even though they're a little punks. Um, and they're like, we want a king. We want an earthly ruler. We want someone to take care of us, to protect us, uh, to be with us always. And as the reader, you're like, hello, that's God. But God uh, lets them have a king to rule over them. And so who the people pick to be their king is this guy named Saul. And he is outwardly, I mean, he is attractive. He is strong. He is everything on paper that a leader should be. But his downfall is his pride. You see in the book of 1 Samuel, you see Saul's rising. He is killing it as a leader, but you see that his heart is not soft towards God, and he is not needy to God. He is prideful, and he's trying to do things out of his own strength. And while Saul, you see his downfall, you see the rise of David. So David is a shepherd, right? Not like the coolest thing in the world, but, um, and he just is like, 
a regular guy, you know? He is like out there taking care of the sheep. He's the youngest of all his brothers, even when they're trying to find the king, um, because God has told this guy Samuel to go find uh, the king who he has anointed. And even when he's trying to figure out who's going to be the king, um, David's dad doesn't even offer uh, him up as one of his sons. He kind of like forgets about him. Um, But David is the one that God has chosen And he is known to us as the man after God's own heart. So when you hear that, you think, okay, David must be, like, awesome, right? Like, he's always waking up with his quiet time. You know, he's humming all the songs. Um, He just loves God every second of every day. And David is a great man of great character. uh, But we don't always see that. We see some pretty big screw-ups from David in 1 Samuel. So just to briefly run through it. Again, you're not going to believe me because it sounds like a soap opera, but it's in the Bible, people. It's wild. Um, So David sees this woman when he's supposed to be out at the battle because he's the commander of the army and the king, but he's not. He's on his couch, and all good things happen when you're sitting on your couch, right? So he goes out, and he sees this woman on another roof, and he thinks, oh, she's pretty. I want her. He knows that she is some other man's wife, but he still goes and gets her, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then he doesn't come clean. He further hides that. And so he comes up with a plan. He thinks, okay, I'll get her husband to come back from the war, the battle. He'll sleep with her. He'll think it's his baby. I'm off the hook. David tries. Uh, Bathsheba's husband, that's the woman, her husband Uriah is so faithful to King David that he won't even go home to her. He's like, no, king, I'm going to wait out here. Um, So then David's like, okay, I'll get him drunk. Then surely he'll go be with his wife. Still, no. So then David comes up with this awesome plan. So he gets Uriah to take this letter. And in the letter, it tells the commander of the army who's placing everyone where they should be, I guess, on the battlegrounds. I don't know that much about the placement, but that's the guy. So he takes this letter to him. Uriah delivers it. And it's actually his own death note. But he's so faithful, he doesn't look at it. He's not nosy like me. I'd be holding it up. I'd be like, what's in here? Um, but no, he doesn't look at it. He gives it to the commander. And what it says in there is Uriah is going to go up to the battle line. All the people behind him are going to fly back. So he gets killed for sure. And he does. He dies. Um, and so David just keeps hiding and hiding and hiding his sin. Um, and then eventually the Lord in his grace to David send someone to call him out, and that is where we see David repent and begin turning from his sin over and over and over again. And so as we dive into this psalm, I don't want us to focus on David entirely, although he is probably one of the most humble people in the Bible, not because he knows everything about the Bible or he's super awesome or always obedient. It is because David has an awareness of how deep his sin is and how much he needs God. And so that is where we are going to dive in with Psalm 131. And that has a little bit about David. So here we go. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
All right, so let's attack that first question of where does pride come from. We're going to look at verse 1. So we see David is talking there about how his heart is not lifted up too high. So what does it mean for your heart to be lifted up? It means that you are self-absorbed and you are putting yourself at the center of everything. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York, he defines pride like this. He said, pride is the condition of being swollen beyond our proper size. Pride is the condition of being swollen beyond our proper size. And so we are so consumed on a daily basis with how we look, what people think of us, did we say something dumb, how we're treated, that we are always seeing things through the lens of us, right? Our pride is blinding us to make us turn in on ourselves and put us at the center. And I was thinking about this um, as I've been writing this talk. It's kind of been wrecking me because, um, as we can tell, I'm not the most humble person if I got mad at a 10-year-old and just dance. Um, But I was thinking about my first few years in ministry. So I've been on staff like nine-ish years, but definitely my first few years I remember my roommates would ask me, like, how D-group went um, and be like, how'd it go? And I'd be like, well, I think it was okay, but I I asked this question, and I think it was dumb. This one girl didn't really talk. I think maybe she's mad at me. Um, At this point, I think I rushed through the point. Maybe I said something wrong. Then I asked this person to pray, but I forgot to ask them before if they wanted me to ask them to pray. So I kind of put them on the spot. And so... My focus in leading D group, even you hear in all those questions, who's the center of it? It's not God. It's not the other girls in my D group. It was me. And so when our hearts are lifted too high, lifted up, when they're lifted up and focused on us, we become the center of everything. And so next, David moves on to the eyes, right? He says the eyes are raised too high. So in Hebrew wisdom literature... I looked this up and I found out that eyes being raised too high means haughty. So it means that someone is haughty. So think about someone who is looking up, right? They're up and they're looking down on everybody else. Their eyes are raised too high. Um, And so are you someone who is always looking to compare with the people around you? And are you looking at them? And I think in this instance, um, comparison can really be linked to pride. And I think in comparison, there can be two different sides of it. There can be an inflated view of self where you're boastful, you're arrogant, you think you're the best. You're like, oh, I'm better than her, I'm smarter than her, I'm prettier than her, I'm godlier than her, right? You're better. Or you can be deflated and that still can be pride. You can be like, I'm not good enough, No one wants to talk to me. Like a lot of self-pity, a lot of self-hatred. And again, on both sides, who is at the center? Me. So pride with the eyes being raised too high is looking at everyone else, comparing, looking down on them. But still again, the center is me. And so then David leads us into the last example um, of where pride comes from. He says, we are, or he chooses not to be occupied with things too great and too marvelous for me. So in other words, he is choosing not to be consumed or concerned by things that he can't control. 
And so I think I see this a lot in my own heart, and I would guess some of you can maybe relate, an obsession with the future, right? Even if you aren't always acting on your anxiety when it comes to the future, um, you're constantly worrying and focusing on the what-ifs, right? So this may look like your mind being distracted and consumed, like I said, by what-if scenarios, by replaying conversations or circumstances over and over and over again. Maybe you leave a conversation and three hours later, you're still thinking about that comment you said. You're like, I'm so dumb. She probably thinks I was talking about her, but I wasn't talking about her, but maybe she does think I'm talking about her. Should I apologize? What should I do? What should I do? Um, Still, being focused on yourself and being focused on things you can't control. Even thinking and creating alternate endings Like, okay, well, what if this had happened instead, and then this happened, and then this happened? Um, Or even thinking, if only I did X, Y, and Z things, everything would be different. Or even just making a backup plan to your backup plan to your backup plan, right? David here isn't saying that he doesn't have crazy things going on in his life. If you read 1 and 2 Samuel, you will see he has some crazy things going on. But what he's saying is he chooses not to occupy his mind and his life with the things that he can't control, right? David has learned, again, not to put himself at the center of trying to control things that he can't. He knows that that's God's role, and therefore he leaves that to God. Um, Recently, a few months ago, my mom got really sick. She had a crazy heart surgery and um, out of the blue, probably one of the scariest things I've ever been through. Um, and I remember the probably like three days after getting the phone call that like she had to go to surgery. She was in ICU, not sure honestly if she was going to live. And I remember just like thinking like, how do you trust God when you really don't know what's going to happen? Like not just the unknown of like, okay, like where am I going to go on vacation next summer? But like the unknown of like, where is this person going to be in a month? Like, will they be here with me? Will they be gone? Um, And just wrestling through that. And I remember my mind began to think, (laughs) uh, I mean, just all sorts of crazy things. But one of them was um, I convinced myself that um, if she was okay, that I would then have to move home to Virginia and quit my job at Summit. So I was like, okay, Um, There's other girls. Someone else can take my job. We're fine there. Um, Okay, I love my roommates, but I'll get a sublease. Like, I am, like, planning ahead and ahead and ahead. And someone uh, was like, hey, you really need to stop thinking about being in places that you're not in right now because that's actually a way that you are trying to control things and protect yourself and not trust God. And I was like, oh, Okay, thank you for that rebuke in the midst of a really hard season in my life. I need that. Um, But it was great because I was able to think like this, that David is saying that he chooses not to occupy his mind with things too great and too marvelous for him. And I remember telling myself, you're going to go to bed tonight, Elizabeth, and you don't know what's going to come tomorrow, but this is how you're going to trust God tonight. You're going to turn off your mind and go to bed. Um, And so we see David is pointing us to that and even showing us that's another way that pride can be in our lives. Again, us at the center, us trying to control things. Um, 
So we see that. That is where pride comes from. A heart that is absorbed with itself, eyes that look down on others and compare, and a mind and life that is filled with anxiety over what we can't control. So that moves us into the next part. So how can I see pride in my life? So if you have a car, don't worry, I'm not using a car analogy. I know my audience. Um, but you have those lights on your dashboard that you just flip and you probably call your dad or someone else. You're like, the check engine light's on, I don't know what's going on. Um, but what those lights do is they show you that something else is going on underneath the hood of your car, right? They don't say exactly what's going on, but they point you to the problem. And so I made up, kind of we'll call them check engine lights, warning signs, whatever you may want, um, but some warning signs that you may have pride in your heart and in your life. So the first one, unresolved conflict with others. So do you sit in, wait, why is this funny? Well, you can't really talk to me, but it's okay, you can laugh. Unresolved, is something spelled wrong? Oh, it's because it's relatable. Oh, we laugh when it's relatable? Oh my gosh, I was like, surely something weird is going on. Oh, okay, I love that. Yeah, I laugh if it's relatable. It's better than crying, right? Um, okay, yes, unresolved conflict with others. This is a serious one. Okay, so do you sit in bitterness, anger, resentment, or unforgiveness, which consume your thoughts, your tongue, and eventually your actions towards another person? Or do you refuse to reconcile or forgive because you feel like they don't deserve it or you're waiting for them to say sorry? And then lastly, this is another part of unresolved conflict if this is in your life. Um, you are unable to see your own sin in the midst of a relational problem. You're just like, it's all her fault. No, I, I didn't do anything. It's not, there is literally nothing that is on me. It is all her. Um, that could point to a pride problem. And so how a humble person would go about dealing with conflict, they would be someone who will apologize and clearly own their sin and ask for forgiveness. It feels so hard, but humble people do that. They will make things right at whatever it costs them if there is strife between them and someone else. And they will take their own sin more seriously than the person who has sinned against them. I think about Jesus' teaching, how he says uh, we are to first remove the log out of our own eye before we go get the speck in someone else's. It's really interesting he doesn't say take the log out of your eye before you go get the log out of theirs. And it's not necessarily because he's saying the other person always has more sin. I think the point of that is you should care more about your own sin against God than you do about how they have sinned against you. And you take that very seriously. The next one is unwillingness to ask for or listen to counsel. No laughter, so I guess no one can relate to that one. It's great. Um, <laughs> okay, listening and counsel, just to be clear, is more than just like, being polite and hearing someone and not interrupting them. That's called nice people skills. You should be that way. Uh, but a willingness to ask for and listen to counsel is actually a state of your heart that you are willing to change your mind and say that you were wrong. 
Like you're willing to listen to what they're saying to the point that you're like, I'm not gonna be defensive, I'm gonna listen and if this is true, like I'm gonna take this seriously. Uh, we are so good <laughs> with this one at justifying our own sin. I'm probably number one. I'm really good at justifying my sin. I'm like, it's not that bad. No one saw it. It's fine. Um, bad. <laughs> That's bad. Uh, but we all need people to help see our blind spots. I don't care how self-aware you are, how much you journal, how well you know the Enneagram. You need help seeing your sin. And if you do not ask for help from the people who live life beside you, it is very likely that you will head down a really bad path. Because sin is that destructive. Not because like you're the worst in the world, but because that is how dangerous sin is and that is how seriously we should be asking people to help us repent. And so we all need that. Pride deafens our ears to hear feedback. I really think it does. I've seen that in my own life and many other people's. Um, and I want us to be women who welcome correction from one another and who are humble enough to hear it before we start preparing in defense. So don't feel like you're the only one who's sinful. But we should all come together as we're on the same playing field and we all need each other's help. I need you to point out my sin. I can tell you, God has used some freshman girls to show me that I'm a sinner. And we need each other's help. And so I want you guys to not just listen to older people. I feel like sometimes that can be people's feedback. They're like, well, you're my friend. Like, the older people, I'll ask them. And yes, older people have so much wisdom. They've lived a lot of life. Like, that's great. But at the end of the day, if you won't even listen to your roommate or your D group leader or your friend, if you feel like they aren't allowed to speak into your life, I would say that's probably a bigger problem with your pride than it is with them. And so you want to be willing to listen to people. Um, and so humble people ask for counsel, they fight defensiveness, and they have a heart that is opening, open to changing its mind. So the next warning sign not open to God's redirection. That is another warning sign that there may be pride going on in your heart. You're holding on too tightly to something and you refuse to give it up. So you won't even pray about it. Like if you are not willing to pray about something with the Lord, I would say pride, pride, pride. Uh, because there is nothing that you should not open your hands to to pray and talk with him and commune with him about. Um, and sometimes I personally think the hardest things to give up are the ones that seem really godly and really good for God's kingdom. But still, we want to be open to God's timing and God's way. And sometimes that looks really different from what we are planning for our lives. And so we want to be people who are open to redirection. So humble people are open to God changing their plans and they are willing to do whatever he asks. So, it, for example, if you're in a dating relationship and you will not let any of your friends speak into it. Your parents don't like the guy. I mean, you are convinced that he's different and no one can tell you anything. Okay, that's, that's, he may be. You see a different side of him. But if you are not willing to open your hands to something like that or God calling you to go um, overseas or God calling you to a different job than you had planned, if you are so closed-handed, then I would say that may be a pride problem um, and the, you really need to get before the Lord to open your hands. And so the last warning sign, if you're not already feeling like you wanna throw up, I got one more. 
Um, not confessing sin. So I think sometimes when we don't confess sin, we can always equate it to uh, we are ashamed and embarrassed, and that is very true. That is so real. Um, But I also think a lot of times why we don't confess sin is because we think it's not that bad, and we think we can handle it on our own. We don't need to tell other people it's, it's not as bad as hers. Like, we think that we've got it, and we can control it, and we can fix it. And that is a pride problem. That is you trusting in yourself and not Christ. And so humble people confess full and fast. Full means they tell the whole truth. They call it what it is. They're not like, oh, I struggle with, uh, you know, sexual sins sometimes. It's like, okay, cool, what? (laughs) Like, what is, okay. Um, But they are confessing full. They're like, no, I struggle with masturbation. I watched porn last night. Here's what's going on. Um, and they confess fast. They don't wait till the next D group, and they're like, thank you for asking this question. I've been meaning to confess. It's like, no, you text, you call, you do what you need because you take your sin that seriously before the Lord and because you know that he commands you to confess to others. And so those are just some warning signs to maybe see if there's some pride in our hearts. Um, and I nailed all of them <laughs> uh, different times, including uh, most of them this week. So hope that encourages you. Okay, so we covered the first two questions, where does pride come from, and how can we see it in our life, and now we're on to the last one, which is how do we fight it? And so look back at verses two and three for our answer. We see there that David gives us some insight into what he does to fight pride. He calms and quiets his soul. Isn't that crazy? Like, that is how David is fighting pride. He is calming and quieting his soul, because Pride makes our souls very loud, very distracted, very irritable, very anxious, very arrogant. But humility calms and quiets our souls before the Lord. And so we see that when David turns from his pride, he turns away from it, and instead he turns towards the Lord. And he uses a metaphor, which I love, (laughs) to tell us kind of what this looks like for him. So he's talking in there about um, how a, let me find it, because I can't read. It's too small back there. A weaned child, right? Uh, Yes. So he's like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So the other day I was at my friend's house, and she just had a baby, and she's breastfeeding. So uh, we were both girls, so it's no big deal. Uh, But this baby is hungry. And if you have ever seen a baby that's hungry and trying to breastfeed, because I don't know how many of you remember those days, um, but the baby's not like, excuse me, mom, like, I'm hungry. I'll just wait. You finish your conversation. I mean, he was like thrashing and like getting at her shirt. This is what you have to look forward to. Um, and he is hungry. Like he, his mind is on being fed, right? That's all he cares about. He screams, he thrashes. Um, and he is completely interrupting his mom. He has no care for her. He is demanding, right? Wanting to get that milk in his time and his way. But David's saying we're not like that, right? We're like a we- he is like a weaned child who is trusting the mom and waiting to be fed instead of listening to his stomach, right? A weaned child is some- a child who is no longer breastfeeding, but he is still wanting to be with his mom in her presence. He is content to be with her, 
and he, his soul is calm before her. And David says that is what humility produces in him before the Lord. It's no longer hurried. It's no longer restless. It's no longer self-focused. It is dependent on God. So he goes from demanding to being dependent. And then the last thing that David gives us, the last charge he tells Israel, is he tells them to hope in the Lord. So when David learned how to be humble, or while David learned how to be humble, we see that he is flawed and he is not perfect, right? We, we see that from his past. We know that he's human. And so we know that he can't be a perfectly humble man, but he has learned through trial and error and repentance. And he points at the end of this psalm that he's talking about humility. He points to hoping in the Lord. So what do we do? Maybe you feel like me. You're like, okay, queen of pride over here. Uh, Great, got it. Now what hope is there for me to be humble? What hope is there for me to be less focused? What hope is there for me to be less worried about things I can't control? And so I want you to turn for the last minute to Philippians 2. And we're going to see what Paul tells us about humility. Because the point of the Christian life, don't walk away from this talk and think the action step is I need to be more humble. You're missing the point (laughs) if that's what you think. Because uh, you have no hope of being humble on your own. Yes, I give you warning signs to detect it. Yes, there's tips, there's things to look at. But you have no hope in and of yourself of being humble. But the thing is that there was one person who was truly and perfectly humble And the crazy thing is that he was never prideful. There was someone who was born a long time ago to a very average, virgin, teenage girl. And the way that he was born was not fancy. He was born in a barn with animals and probably hay, and it probably smelled like poop. Um, But he associated himself in his time on earth with people who were uneducated. They were identified as sinners by everyone else. They were lepers. They were adulterous women. They were blind. They were sick. They were worthless to society. And instead of coming to be served, which he rightly deserved, he came to serve other people. He washed his disciples' feet and told them, this is what it looks like to lead. And when he was mocked, gossiped about, his words were twisted and used against him. When he was rejected, when he was persecuted, when he was left alone, he didn't defend himself even though he was innocent. And he was abandoned and left alone in a garden by his closest friends who couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. And then, as he walks up to the cross to die a death that he did not deserve, he was never prideful in his heart. (laughs) He never compared himself. He was never anxious about things that were too high and too marvelous for him. He never once sinned. And he walked up to that cross, and they put nails in his hands and in his feet. And he had a crown of thorns on his hands, or his head, 
and he cries out to the one whom he loves more than anything else, his father in heaven, and God says nothing. His presence was removed from Jesus in that moment. And so this perfectly humble human died for you. Died for every prideful thought, every prideful action, every prideful motive, and then everything else in your heart. And he stayed on that cross and he died. And the presence of God was gone from him. And so we are going to look at what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to, glor to the glory of God the Father. So yes, you yourself have no hope of humility because you think too highly of yourself over and over and over again, just like me. But what Paul is saying here is that we can have this mind of humility in Christ, but it doesn't come from reading more books, from being a D group leader, from doing city project, from being a good friend, a good daughter, a good sister. It comes from looking at the only humble human who was without sin, looking to him. And when you look at him, you see a right view of yourself. Because his name is exalted above every name, not ours. And there is much life to be found in humility and in repentance. Because in him, there is grace upon grace upon grace. Because he didn't stay on that cross, did he? Right, he's not still, well, I guess he'd be, his body would be decayed, but um, he's not still on the cross, right? He rose again, showing that he conquered sin and death and pride and everything in between. And he is alive and he is in heaven with God. And he is going to be in your place. <laughs> his blood has covered you if you choose to humble yourself and repent and turn to him. And so, right, humility is the way to God um, through salvation, right? You, you do not become a Christian if you don't humble yourself. There is no way that if you have never realized that you are sinful, that you have committed grievous sins, and that you need Jesus, there is no way right now that you are a Christian. 
because you have to humble yourself to begin a relationship with him. And then the rest of your walk with Jesus is you continuing over and over and over again to humble yourself because you're a mess, but he already knows that and he's not. And so I want to leave you with this. Repent of your pride and hope in the Lord. That's it. We are all prideful. We are all wicked. Um, And it goes deeper than we even realize. But there is so much grace and life and freedom in looking to him. And God's presence is always with the humble.